and a pleasant good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. It's episode 17. We are right on the, the eve of Christmas. Not literally. It's not the 24th. It's Sunday the 20th. You will be hearing this on Monday the 21st. Sam Levowitz joined by Jack Hendon as always. Jack, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing well, I should say, but uh, it's a jolly time. Uh, really uh, not a whole lot to talk about this week, but that's that gives us all the creative room to just fill the airwaves with whatever we want. So I, I can dig it. And we're going to do our best. So not not a ton of like concrete Mets news this week. Uh, obviously, there was speculation about Nolan Arenado. We're going to talk about that. Uh, one thing we did want to like talk about real quick was even though the Mets didn't like make any new moves this week, there was quite a bit of like Mets in the media, if you want to say. There were press conferences on Monday, Wednesday and Thursday this week. We had Jared Porter introducing himself to the media on Monday. Luis Rojas giving a briefing on Wednesday and then James McCann introducing himself on Thursday. I watched all, th- I don't think I watched the Luis Rojas one. I watched the Porter and the McCann one, but uh, really fascinating stuff. First of all, we didn't really talk too much in depth about Porter, but I was really, really impressed by his press conference. I think he gave all the right answers and I, you guys know that, you know, I was totally hundred percent in on this, this move as him on, as GM before the press conference but listening to him speak this dude's legit i think i think mm-hmm. and, and i'm really really excited yeah yeah i uh, i can't wait to see who he brings in that's sort of my uh, i mean not only from a player perspective but just in terms of who will when end up working with him in the front office um he's clearly a well-connected well-traveled uh baseball person he i mean the thing about it is like yeah you know he you never really i think have an opening press conference where you're like, Oh my God, this guy's going to be terrible. Right. Like they always usually kind of impress you. Like even Brody Van Wagen and we were like stoked about, at least I was two years ago. Cause it was like, like a new, it was like a breath of fresh air. It's a new hire or what have you. But uh, I know I, I was really encouraged uh, the comments. He actually, I mean, the, the degrees that he went to to or lengths that he went to, to, I think make the points he wanted to uh, about building a winner were a lot deeper than anything Brody had ever said. It wasn't just, we will win now and we will win in the future. Uh, it was, it wasn't just a, uh, you know, a, a bumper sticker answer. It was more than that. It was like, we're going to add depth. We're going to, uh, we're going to do what we can to make sure that, you know, no stone is unturned within this organization and that we have everything that we need to for any possible situation, like total, uh, 180 from what we're used to where during these press conferences under past ownership, it was like, we will just defer on the options we already have. Uh, you know, like we'll add Robert Gasselman to the rotation. Like I just like stuff like that, that I just couldn't get over. And I think we all wanted out of uh, this is hopefully going to be a much better relationship. Cause I I'm, I'm definitely encouraged. Yeah. The, these introductory press conferences in baseball they're not particularly difficult to get right i think i mean it's not like it's not like a like I, i've been watching the west wing like those those press briefing scenes where the oh yeah the media is just you know trying to tie you in a loop and, and get you mm-hmm. and get something out of you it's not like that these are the journalists are asking questions that the player 
or the, the, uh, the new executive, they know how to answer and they're not trying to get you. They're just trying to get quotes for their stories. It's really it. Yeah. And it's not hard to get these press conferences right. I think at least. And I mean, obviously you mentioned Brody Van Wagenen, like people were, were ready to name their, their first three born children, Brody Van and Wagenen after that press conference. Like, yeah, you know, people were ready to run through a brick wall for him. Obviously didn't work out the way that we had hoped. I hope Porter has a better tenure in New York. I'm, I'm totally in on him. And he said the right stuff, uh, even despite the fact that, you know, it wasn't exactly stacked against him. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, he said the right stuff in terms of, like, where the team should be focusing. You know, he's correct. The team needs better depth. The team needs better uh, uh, system depth, especially in the upper minors. He's right about that. They need to be able to, to fill spots in around the diamond where there's injuries or what have you. Mm-hmm. He's completely correct about all that. That was really the emphasis was depth is a big thing here yeah. for this team moving forward. Cause it's something that previous regimes really haven't focused as much on. And I was really happy to see that that's where he was kind of putting his focus uh, yeah. when asked about, you know, what the priorities for this team are going to be organizationally moving forward over the next couple of years, building that depth up mm-hmm. because that's like a breath of fresh air. That's something that we haven't, seen this team prioritize in a long time and it's something that teams that win do prioritize yeah like the dodgers the dodgers aren't just the dodgers because they have you know Corey seager and cody bellinger and 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 walker bueller and clayton kershaw they're also the dodgers because when bellinger needs a day off you can put chris taylor in center and then or you can put kike hernandez in center or you know what have you like Mm -hmm. max monty at first they have depth they have depth. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. They uh they always I think have the answer for any potential conflict. I mean Tony Gonzalez and Dustin May were what like their sixth and seventh options to start games this year, and that you know, and it wasn't even an issue for them. These were guys that they could literally plug in to a World Series game, back to back. I mean Gonzalez didn't have great results, but also he had a really good season and he deserved that opportunity. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm also kind of, I mean, I don't know. I can't say that I was paying as much attention in, in conferences past to the way the owners are involved in these, but the fact that Steve Cohen wasn't really, I think, injecting himself into these Zoom meetings and he wasn't really, I think, you know, putting his mug in there, possibly the way he is on Twitter. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Just to put that out there. I think it's awesome that he does that. Uh, but the fact that he sort of kept the baseball stuff to the baseball people uh, was also kind of refreshing just because I'm so used to seeing Jeff Wilpon right next to whoever's being introduced. Uh, and it sort of immediately would send a message as to, you know, the fact that he was still making a, a judgment call. And I mean, the, the thing about it too, is like Sandy Alderson was in the zoom meeting Uh he probably will have a say. It's not that this is exclusively Porter's job, but I feel a lot more comfortable knowing that this is sort of, this isn't like, you know, a, a, a vanity tour. It's not a, uh, it's not a Steve Cohen enterprise. It's a, it's a good baseball mind enterprise. And I like yeah. That. I mean, we're already seeing differences in how the organization is run publicly you know, based against the prior ownership group, the 
when the Wilpons had this team, press conferences were, were very different. Press conferences. Well, they were, were in person. Yeah. I mean, like, right. I'm, I'm kidding. You know, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. It's You're right. Cause of, cause of Cause, pandemic. Cause of uh-huh. pandemic. Funny. But what I mean, what I mean is that when they signed a new player, Jeff did like to be there. Mm-hmm. However, he would not answer any questions. He'd defer every question. The team did not speak like publicly about the way that the organization ran. Yeah. Like Jeff would talk to the media once, maybe twice a year. Yeah. Fred Wilpon would talk to the media maybe once a year, if yeah. that. Yeah. Like After there was the New Yorker thing, like maybe twice ever. There was just, there was no transparency from the ownership. They would not answer questions. Anytime someone addressed a question to Jeff in, in a press conference, if memory serves, he would defer it to Sandy Alderson or to Brody or whatever other executive he had up on the stage with him. But he liked that attention. So, you know, the fact that when they were introducing the new GM of the team, that it was Sandy Alderson who was answering the questions along with Porter and not Steve Cohen, is it's, it's a breath of fresh air for me. Like, it's just... It, you, you're completely right. It's so good to see that they are letting the baseball people talk about baseball and that Cohen is, is when ownership needs to be there, ownership will be there. Obviously, the transparency is greater with him on social media already. Yeah. But I am sure that especially once, you know, operations kind of proceed as normal and Cohen you know, is, has his feet wet more than just a couple of weeks, uh, like I am sure there will be opportunities where he will want to speak to the media uh, as ownership in New York city does from time to time. There's a time and a place. I think he gets that Yeah, introducing a baseball person or introducing your new catcher is not the time for the owner to be there grandstanding about being an owner of a baseball team, right. playing, you know, playing daddy's help, like front office helper. Yeah. Yeah, basically playing with like the dollhouse. That's how I sort of thought about it. But I mean, yeah, going back to Porter for a second, because I I mean, I think another thing that he did a good job, I think, explaining and grappling with was, you know, the analytics side of it. The fact that they are going to really like put a lot of time and effort over these next three to five years in improving like research and development uh, to make sure that they're scouting appropriately. I mean, he's, you know, he mentioned, I think, uh, you know, his work with Mark Tremuda, uh, also, um, you know, Tommy Tanus, like it's, is that how you pronounce his name? Tanus? Tanus, I think. Tanus, Tommy Tanus. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's encouraging though, just to know that like those, you know, smaller scale, or at least on the surface, they're smaller scale. Cause you don't notice it as much, uh, you know, machinations are going to be changing the fact that they're, uh, you know, going to look into more, you know, areas in terms of scouting, the fact that they're going to go into more leagues, the fact that they're going to, uh, you know, incorporate more pitch by pitch technology. I think that that kind of stuff is really exciting uh, because ultimately that's sort of, I think a lot of what we've seen so far, and I think you talk about the Dodgers, part of why it works so well for them is that they have the Seegers, they have the Bellingers, and then they have the Muncies and the Taylors, uh, but they also have, you know, the money uh, to grab a Mookie Betts and extend Mookie Betts. Uh, 
you know, to Stein, like Justin Turner for to a multi-year deal to, you know, hold on to Kenley Jansen. And the Mets are really the first team, I think, that's going to be able to compete with that kind of, uh, like, web of, of power, if that makes sense, because no other team really has all of that. Like the Tampa Bay Rays have to rely so extensively on analytics because they don't have that much money. Uh, you know, up to this point, the Mets kind of had to rely on money because they didn't have anything in analytics or scouting, which is why we always just sign a free agent or make it, you know, trade prospects to bring the talent in. But now uh, we can make the more, I think, like, you know, under the radar, intelligent decisions. And uh, I think that kind of brings us to what we've, I think, been on the short end of for a long time, which is the fact that, like, we've just lost so many players in the last, like, five or six years to other teams like the Dodgers and Rays, uh, you know, who have basically turned a profit out of uh, the guys that we've given up on because they have these strengths. Uh, obviously, Travis Darno comes to mind. There's Justin Turner, of course. Uh, Rafael Montero, I think, is someone who's kind of – People don't realize like just how much better his control has been since he's left New York. Uh, he was really good with Texas. He just got traded to the Mariners, but they definitely intend to use him in high leverage spots. Hansel Robles had the one year. I think teams still probably look at him this offseason, even though he got non-tendered. Like, and now Michael Waka is, you know, probably gonna be another guy on that list because he just signed with the Rays. And, you know, it's Michael Walker, man. I mean, I guess that's. I think we want to put like we are going to talk about Michael Walker, uh-huh. but I think we want to put like a disclaimer here. Yeah. Anyone listening and say that we are not upset that Michael Walker is not going to be a New York Met in 2021. Right. We're not I... saying that. Yeah. He was bad this year. We knew really he was bad. bad this year. Uh he had like a splitter that or change up that worked like a splitter. I'm sure the Rays want to exploit that. Uh, my issue is not at all that like the Mets are giving up on him too early. They need to hold on to him so that they can get these results out of him. It's not, that's the issue I think and the misconception that I think a lot of fans have about how the scouting kind of works is that it's not about, it's not as though the player is just waiting for a time And then if you wait till that amount of time, they're fully, you know, they're like perfectly cooked and they'll be good. It's not like, you know, you're waiting for food to cook. It's literally like you have, you know, the ingredients in place to get the right results out of a player. And the Mets didn't have that to get that out of Michael Waka. My issue is that he's like, we know now somebody like Michael Waka, who was so bad, is going to find some like improvement with a team that is so analytically savvy. And that's ultimately like where I hope the Mets sort of begin working. Cause it's, you know, it would be really cool if we wound up being a team that uh, began picking off guys like that and, 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 you know, turning them into like serious gold. Uh, yeah. I think that could be really fun. I like that analogy that you were kind of virgin on there with, with food uh, for like a player development standpoint. Like I, don't want to sound like Scott Boris here with this analogy, but like in player development, if you look at it almost as if every player in your system is like a Thanksgiving Turkey. Right. And you can't just expect to get like a perfectly cooked, like juicy, really delicious Thanksgiving Turkey just by sticking it in the oven. Yeah. 
if your player development system is just the oven, you're mm-hmm. not going to get a good product. You need the player development, the R and D, all that stuff, the analytics. It's got to be the spices. It's got to be the aromatics. Stopping. What the Mets have lacked for a long time is the necessary spices and aromatics to like cook the turkey and like properly to make it delicious. Yeah. They get lucky every once in a while. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, they pull the turkey out of the oven right at the perfect time and you get a Michael Conforto or you get a Jacob Brom. Yeah. But more often than not, you're not going to get the perfectly cooked turkey. The Rays, they got all the spices. Yeah. And they're sticking like a rabbit in the oven. And they're going to, we know they're going to get something delicious out of it. Like that's sort of, I think, to build on the analogy. Like this isn't even really a turkey. This is like, you know, this is somebody who, like, they can just do this with anybody. They can cook anything. They can make any player like a, a, two and a half win player in one year the rays are are michelin star chefs like they they any ingredient that they touch they can make a gourmet dish out of and michael walker may have had an era approaching seven as a met he may have given up 2.4 home runs per nine he might have been in the 15th percentile in fastball spin 14th in curves in curve spin but like for $3 million with the Rays and the stuff that he had shown in St. Louis, you know, when he was winning NLCS MVP, whatever the Rays are the Rays, the Rays, I'm sure have things that they've seen in Michael Walker that they are impressed by me as a Mets fan, having watched him pitch. I think there was one time I was impressed by Michael Walker this entire season. It was a start against the Marlins and it was the first inning of that starters at city field. Yeah. He, I think he struck out either two batters in, the, in that inning or struck out the side. I don't remember. His yeah. changeup was was moving all over the place. He was getting swings and misses. I was like, oh, yeah, Michael Waka, hello. And then he yeah. came out in the second inning and he gave up like a home run right. to, uh, I want to say Miguel Rojas. I can't remember. But he came yeah, out in the I, second. I can't tell you who. Completely looked like a different pitcher in the second inning than the first inning. And I was like, ah, okay, he's broken. Yeah. Like, if he can't, if even on a day where he has good stuff, where his changeup is moving all over the place, mm-hmm. if he can't keep that momentum going into a second inning, either he's a reliever, which he very well might be with the Rays, or he's cooked. Yeah, not I mean, cooked, it, not cooked in the way that we have been describing. Not the, not the good food cooked. Not in like, the analogy cooked. Cooked isn't. He's no. done. He's finished. Yeah, I mean the thing about it is like, we definitely. I wouldn't have. I understand, I think, the dilemma that some people are going to have listening to this because it's like we spent so much time railing on the fact that the Mets signed Walk in the first place because he wasn't that good, had injuries, didn't really have any ceiling. Uh, and now we're like praising the Rays for taking that same player. It honestly just has nothing to do with the fact that it has nothing to do with ability and just everything to do with like. I think stabilization within a a team to build a really good player. Honestly, for me, it's more, it's straight up curiosity. Yeah. First of all, I want to know what they saw in him because the, the, the spin percentiles are not all that great. I want to know exactly what they saw and said, okay, let's give him $3 million in a guaranteed major league spot. Yeah. I want to know. And I'm curious to see like a side armor or something. I'm yeah. very, very curious to see how it pans out for them. I am. I'm incredibly curious to see the kind of season Michael Waga has. Yeah. If he's bad, then you know what? 
even the Rays miss sometimes. They missed on Sean Giltmartin. Oh yeah, yeah but you know, you know, they don't get everything right. I mean, we're making it sound like they get everything right. They they get a lot right. They get more right than most teams. They missed on Wilmer Font when they uh, gave him to us for an actual player. You know, did they? Because they got something out of that. They got well, no. What I mean money. is, what I mean is that they had Font. He wasn't that good, and that was a miss for them. And then they fleeced it, us. Yeah, then they fleeced us and made a turned it into a profit. For like, a seventeen-year-old who throws ninety-eight. Yeah. Well, is he still seventeen? He's probably, well, no. He's he's like nineteen or twenty by now. Neraldo right. Catalina. That's a name you guys are gonna hear yeah. in the major league okay. before long. Yeah, that's but, uh, that's what good teams do. Um, we still have like an opportunity, though. I think to make the team better just from straight acquisitions right now. Like obviously the R and D and analytics stuff is going to be like a three to five year project. Cause there's no way the Mets are going to implement it as quickly as they are and get something ready that is going to compete with the way the Dodgers and Rays play like going into 2021, but still like they can just compensate for that in the short term and make up for it by just signing really good players with the money that they do have. Uh, or trading with the money that they're able to take on. I mean, you talk, you know, Nolan Arenado is the, the everyone's talking about right now. Um, honestly, like at first I was like super on the Lindor train and that hasn't changed at all. But just thinking about the scenario, the Rockies are are staring down, like this might not cost us anything in terms of player capital because it's so much money for Arenado. Yeah, he is. He's expensive. That. That's the thing is that mm-hmm. he is a good baseball player. Uh, you will not see me out on social media saying that Nolan Arenado is not good at baseball or that he's overrated or whatever. He's very good. The defense is, I mean, the defense in and of itself, even if he was half the hitter that he's been in his career, right? he's still a superb defender and he saves so many runs over there at third base for you. Second best defensive third baseman that I've ever seen. Second best defensive third baseman in baseball. That's right. I'm you guys know Matt Chapman is my favorite player in baseball and he is the best defensive third baseman in baseball. Um, But I digress. Arenado. I mean, the Rockies said, according to to JP Morosi earlier this week, the Rockies specifically want the Mets to jump on this. Yeah. That the Rockies are interested in Arenado to the Mets. They want the Mets in these conversations. They know that. Not because the Mets have prospects that they're interested in. I'm sure the Rockies could find one or two guys in the Mets system or on the Mets major league roster that they'd want to try to pry. They are interested in the Mets because the Mets are like the new richest team in baseball. And the Rockies signed Nolan Arenado to a gargantuan contract that they cannot afford or do not want to afford. And the Mets can take on money. The Mets are one of the few teams who are willing and able to take on money right now yeah sandy alderson said in his you know on the porter pro on the uh, i think it was on the porter mm-hmm. um press conference he was asked about the trades yeah. uh because he earlier in the offseason he had said we're probably going to do free agency more we you know you know we're not really super interested in giving up prospects cool he didn't really double down on that when asked he said that they'd explore the trade market that he would still prefer not to give up prospects, but there are interesting players out on the market. And that is an avenue that they would look towards. I don't know. I don't think that this happens. I don't think that Arenado is a Met by spring training. If he is, 
I think the Mets probably send one of their bigger contracts, probably Jerry's familiar towards, you know, to Colorado right. to offset some of the salary. The thing is, if Arenado's a Met in 2021, mm-hmm. I don't think George Springer is, and I don't think that Michael Conforto signs an extension. That's your trade-off. Yeah, that's. I didn't really think about the Conforto thing, but I guess that makes sense. Because he's. it's really hard. It's going to be really hard to stay under the luxury tax if he doesn't opt out after 2021. And he won't because it's $35 million a year, which the, if he, what's probably going to happen is whoever gets him is going to pay 35 million a year till 2026. And you know, just with the way these contracts work, 2025 and 2026 are going to be like excruciating years where you're not going to get, you may not even like have him on your roster at that point. Like just with the way, like I said, like Arnaud is a great player, but ultimately, that's part of what you buy into is the fact that you're going to be paying someone to do nothing at the end of the contract. Uh, like it happened to Jacoby Ellsbury at the Yankees, happened with Cespedes, uh, you know, in our infinite uh, struggle. But it's I probably going to happen to Robinson Cano. Yeah. I mean, the, the off, you know, the alternative to the Familia deal, if you're really that desperate as Steve Cohen, and I think the Mets can potentially do it. It would take them out of the market for Lindor, though, because what it would mean is you get more salary relief in Cano's deal than with Familia, but you'd have to obviously send the Rockies more young talent to, you know, to, to ease the blow of, what is it, three years that we still have Cano around for? I thought it was two and it's three. Like, it's going to, he's right now the second highest paid player in the team, Um I'd much rather the Mets made that trade if it got Cano out of here than Familia because Familia only has one year and, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Also would have to give up, like, not just J.D. Davis. Like, you'd probably need to send uh, one of Brett Beatty, Ronnie Mauricio. uh, Allen. Matt Allen over. I mean, they're definitely going to want a pitcher because it's Colorado. Like, Josh Wolf is probably – another guy who might be gone like you can't i wouldn't put wolf in the same uh, he's not an upper echelon prospect well, no I but yeah i guess not he you'd have to add him with someone else but they could do that they um, could you maybe they maybe you know you never know yeah. if they like him or not eh, i don't know right. if the rockies are serious about this it's a salary dump because they really 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 do not want to be on the hook for 35 million dollars annually for six seasons which is what he locks into if he doesn't opt out. Mm-hmm. He's also one of those guys who struggled this year in the short season, you know, not quite as bad as like Chris Bryant did, but did not have a good year. 738 OPS, which is his worst in a full season. Uh, you know, he was really bad on the road too this year, which, okay. Here's a misconception we should clear up mm-hmm. about, Players who leave Coors Field, right. players who leave Coors Field generally tend to not be bad when they leave. Mm-hmm. I think DJ LeMahieu is the prime example. Is right. sure, Rockies players tend not to be nearly as good on the road while they're Rockies. Mm-hmm. But when they leave the Rockies, for whatever reason, they tend to be just fine. Yeah, they get accustomed to the new, you know, 
airstream basically like i'd imagine playing a full season with the rockies and moving you know like ha- like right after homestand like just that constant back and forth of like you're switch you're turning a switch on and off through the year of like colorado air no colorado air like that'll just you know that'll that kind of explains it but yeah like dexter fowler was like a perfect example too when he was with the rockies like they sent him to the astros and people figured like you know, this is, he was just going to become like a, you know, a, an all run, all field, no hit outfielder. And he's stuck. He's still in the league now. Like that happens. Uh, well, Mayhew got better when he left Colorado. Yeah. LeMayhew is like a force now. Um, there's someone else too. Corey Dickerson. He's really good. Uh, you know, he's had a few good years of the Rays and Pirates. I mean, he's yeah. 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 It's, so I, I'm not worried about the offense, right? Is what I'm saying is that if they traded for him, I'm not saying he would he would take a step down offensively completely, because yeah. I'm not worried about that. I think he's a good player, and I think it's another one of those situations in which he just couldn't get it going in 2020, and he ran out of time. Yeah. And I'm not worried about obviously the off the, the defense is going to play, no matter the situation, no matter what field he's on. He's a superb defensive third baseman. Mm-hmm. If they could figure out this, this trade, I am curious to see how it goes down. And I would welcome him with open arms because he's a superstar. He's really good at everything that he does. He, he brings a new kind of like level to this yeah. lineup as it's a, as great. a, yeah, no, go on. They don't have a right-handed, you know, superstar. I love Pete. I just don't think he's that guy. Yeah. They need yeah. that. They could really use, you know, I want it to be George Springer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's Nolan Arenado, I'm not complaining. Right. My only reservation about the Springer situation is that we don't have a DH. Like, so if you sign him and put him in center field, that means Brandon Nimmo goes to left field and Dominic Smith goes to first base and Pete Alonso gets traded or, you know, Nimmo gets traded or Nimmo goes to left. Alonzo stays at first, you know, Smith's traded. Like I don't want to confront the possibility of saying goodbye to one of those three guys, unless I knew that it could get us like Francisco Lindor, which it might, but uh, I'd much rather like if given the option between doing that and like just having to deal from your middle infield, like I think I'd rather improve, uh, you know, up the middle. So it's, yeah ultimately this is hard for us because we have to we kind of like we've kind of gotten away i think obviously trading prospects has been an issue uh and a conflict for met fans for like three four years now it's not like we haven't had to get rid of people in these trades but like we haven't had to just say goodbye to like a player that we uh that we really liked uh and likelihood is that if we make a deal for you know lindor or arenado like someone's gonna their met career one and that 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 kind of sucks yeah uh i still think that my like ideal outcome of this offseason is signing springer and trading for lindor i still think that that makes the mets probably the best offensive team at least the nl east definitely in the nl i mean it would it would depend on who you gave up for lindor like what position you like if i think it gets a lot a lot uh better if it's like you know Lindor for Alonso probably or like Lindor for Smith you know what I mean I I think I'd honestly prefer it be Nimmo because I I could stomach Dom in left field for a season I think 
yeah. as long as the defense up the middle with Lindor at short and Springer in center is better. Yeah. I think I could stomach it. It's not – I mean, it's still – Dom and left is not great for a full season especially. Mm. But I think with his bat, it offsets a little bit more than it would with J.D. Davis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. J.D., I'm not, as, I'm not as broken up about a J.D. Davis trade as much as some people really love him. I yeah, just, I'm not – I'm not – it doesn't work on defense. It's just, you know, we don't have the DH, so we can't. It's uh so we might. We don't know. I'm we still don't hope. know. I'm holding out hope. Oh my god. I like why can't the why can't Major League Baseball just like issue a written statement? Is why is why are they 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 must be negotiating it then, right? Like, I hope. I hope they are. I don't know what they'd be doing not negotiating if nobody knows. Like where it's December twentieth, people. Like we need we need to sign people. Like you know, mm-hmm. I'm pointing to my watch like a crazy person, but do it. Like and keep the DH. We need a DH. You know who's not going to be signing people? The Cincinnati Reds. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a roommate who's from Cincinnati. Hey Joe. Eat it. <laughs> the Reds appear to be open for business. They are listening to offers on their third baseman, who is uh, a big power hitter and under very team-friendly contract, Johanio Suarez. And their two top starting pitchers, now that Trevor Bauer is a free agent, Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo. Yeah. They're trying to cut salary in any possible way. They, It's unfortunate. I really do feel bad for Reds fans. One of my best friends is a Reds fan, Allie. Like, she and I were talking about this last night. She was so disappointed in, you know, the Reds, just how they're operating right now. They were rebuilding just about as long as the Mets. They finally make the playoffs again. And it's this, you know, they get, they don't even score in the two games against the Braves. Yeah. And just because it looks like they're going to lose Bauer. They're like, okay, let's let's cut salary. Let's they're they're pulling a will pond. They're trying to quote unquote get creative by subtracting salary, yeah. but also I, staying competitive. I don't really uh I mean the way I kind of look at it honestly, it would be like if we had made the playoffs. It's like when we made the playoffs in 2015, if we had just given up on everything. Like that was this was the first real glimpse into what a competitive window for the Reds was gonna look like. And it just got shut like five seconds after it's over. Uh, they're basically deciding because they can't re-sign Bauer that they're going to close up shop. And like, I was just making fun of Joe, but also like if I were Joe, like I'd be really, really pissed off because that's, I don't know. I mean, you look at the guys who are going to be most expensive. It's, you know, like does Votto not finish his career with the Reds now? Like, like, I, don't, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a really bad experience for a fan base. Uh, so, I mean, Castellanos opted in. Castellanos yeah. is staying. He could have opted out. He didn't opt out. He's staying. Well, he needed they, the money. He wasn't going to make as much money on the market. He's yeah, he got off to a, like a ludicrously hot start and yeah. then very much cooled off. But he, he I think still, that was also a market decision. But yeah, well, go on. Sorry. Sure, but regardless, he yeah. opted in. He's staying. They have Moustakis, too, who they signed last offseason. Yeah. They, it's not like they've traded Suarez, Sonny Gray, and Castillo yet. They right. still have those guys. Like, they still are on the team. Yeah. Sure, you don't have Trevor Bauer probably next season. But, like, this is still a competitive product. 
Right. And they're just turning it away. It does, it's mind boggling to me. You have a window here. Yeah. Well, they, you know, what they're probably going to say and what they probably have already said is that they just lost too much money. Like they just can't afford anything anymore. Cause it's, you know, they, I guess they weren't, you know, in the group of billionaires that made money off the pandemic. Uh, anyway, uh, Anyway, we would, have, we would yeah. have blood on our hands, I think, if we got Luis Castillo from the Reds. He'd be so good, but like it's it would I think it'd be a little bit hard to handle. Much easier to handle though than than the team signing Bauer. I really don't want that. Uh I mean, yeah, if the Reds are open for business, I'm sorry, Allie, if you're listening, but I am inquiring today about Suarez and Castillo. Yeah. Sonny Gray, no disrespect. The the fact that he couldn't do it at all with the Yankees does scare yeah. me a little bit mm-hmm. because there, I mean, occasionally yeah. for guys, there is that the New York aspect can be a little bit yeah. jarring and he didn't get it done at all. I know it's Yankees versus Mets. It can be a little bit different, but it's still right. same principle. Yeah. I think he made some important changes this past year with the Reds. It wasn't like he, uh, you know, like I think his trajectory is better now than it was when he went from the A's to the Yankees. Like he had a really good past year and a half with the Reds. I'm not, you know, I'm not a, I'm not totally versed in because Dio is like my favorite. I mean, if we had a one, two, three, four in August of DeGrom, uh, Castillo, Syndergaard, Stroman, like that's, I think that's, I think Castillo is better than Wheeler. I think it's very close. I think Wheeler's an incredible pitcher, but like Castillo has, three really good pitches uh that's the changeup is just amazing and no other pitcher on the team except for Degrom like throws a legit changeup uh or at least a changeup that's like a signature pitch I believe if you look at the, like the individual pitch metrics I think Castillo and Degrom have like two of the top three or four changeups in baseball yeah and Castillo has been a little more on the inconsistent side he wasn't as good as Bauer and Gray this year but the stuff is still unbelievable. Yeah. He still throws 97 with yeah. like a top five changeup in baseball and a, and a decent slider. Like he can locate it too. It's not, it, you know, that's what I think got better for him is that he stopped walking people. Yeah. Like I, strikeout stuff. And now you can't even get a walk. So if you're not going to go the Arenado route, the uber expensive superstar route, you can go Suarez right. at third. Yeah. who is not as nearly as good defensively, but he's basically another Pete Alonso in your lineup for you. He's going to hit 240 and hit 40 bombs. Right. And, which, or you can or you can try to explore a trade for a starting pitcher, which is still a need for this team, whether mm-hmm. it's Oda Rizzi or Bauer or someone else. Yeah, after those two, it's basically like, I think it's... Sugano. Yeah, Sugano. Uh, I'm trying to think who else um Paxton although then you're like you know you're making it it's a you're banking on him pitching 25 games that's probably not going to happen um yeah yeah I don't know man free agents we got they could also call up the Cubs talk about uh Chris Bryant like that I think Bryant makes a lot of sense for this team yeah all right well I mean third base we can talk third base let's talk third base David Wright uh it's been empty you see Something that we've learned through the first 17 episodes of this podcast is that when we're talking about things that happened today, Mm -hmm. you guys at home listening to us, like that didn't happen today for you. That was in the past. So when we say David Wright turns 38 today, we mean Sunday. Yeah. 
but happy birthday, David Wright. Yeah, happy birthday, dude. You share a birthday with uh, my dog. She turns 14 oh. today. Happy birthday, Desi. Love happy you. birthday, Desi. Yeah, uh, but it's it's funny because I think third base is just the position that like up until 2019, I shouldn't say 2019, uh, but like, you know, for a very, very long time, third base was like a position that the Mets never even needed to like sign someone who could play third base for. Like they didn't need a backup they did they sure as hell didn't need a starter because david wright played like every day and you knew what you were gonna get you were gonna get 300 with a you know 389 on base and like a 500 you know 520 slugging like in his prime like it was i mean it was just like i mean i really miss that i do miss knowing like we absolutely positively can't go wrong at this position on the infield like Degrom right now is our like pause you know can't there's no way he'll be bad this year there's no way he'll be bad today like like David Wright was just uh, a hero and uh, I know that for at least for some of my TL it's been kind of an emotional day because it's with David you know because of David Wright it's like you think about uh, what could have been sure but I mean a lot of it you just think about like what you experienced when he was there because it was just like it was you know like nothing else there was nobody there was no david wright after david wright i mean he was like this transcendent player for this fan base Mm -hmm. they hadn't had something like him since you know piazza besides piazza since really like ever see in fact i mean I'm talking position player more so. Yeah, he was yeah, like the first, true. the first like legitimately homegrown superstar that they had since like Strawberry. Yeah, probably and, since Sport. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because Alfonso wasn't as good as Strawberry. Alfonso wasn't as good. Todd Hundley was homegrown and very good, but he wasn't David Wright. Right. I mean, that was just. And the other thing too. I mean, look in like 70, 80 years let's say we become the the Yankees basically like as in terms of how many world series we win uh if we become like a dynasty team like that I don't necessarily know if a player who put up David Wright's numbers for like six seven years gets their number retired but just this on the simple basis of what he did with the time that this franchise has had up to this point like he's the first to do nearly everything. Like he's the first, he's breaking all the records. Um, He's been involved in like a third of our like incredible moments. Like there's, there's, there's no, uh, there's no real uh, play. I don't know. I'm kind of stalling here. Well, I'll I'll jump in. He's, it was a, a career that was filled with so many great moments and the rise and fall of his career is almost a tragedy. Like this guy was definitely on a hall of fame path. I think. I think so too. And you just, it breaks your heart, man. It really breaks your heart. And you know, when he dives into third base to tag out Carlos Lee against the Astros in 2012 right. and breaks his back, that's, it was like a turning point. It was the moment where it all started to go down 
from him because you know that 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 small fracture in his back was probably the the thing that that kicked off Part all of the it. all of the the back and spine injuries. Yeah, I mean, he's literally said himself, at, you know, at the press conference, like the day he announced his retirement, when people were like, well, "When did this start?" I think he literally mentioned that game. He mentioned, well, he didn't say like, oh, John Easton covered third, but he was like, I, you know, dove into third base to make a play and tag someone and I rolled over on my back. Like, that's the other thing. Like, we just remember every like David Wright play because it's just unlike anyone else. But uh, I almost feel, I mean, I almost feel like for me personally, like he does mean so much to me as a Mets fan, as a young Mets fan. He was the, the guy for me growing up. He was the superstar that I, you know, looked up to and, and loved. I miss the prime years. Yeah. As a fan, I miss them. I, I didn't get to watch them. 2009 was my first season. 2009 was David Wright's worst season. That was yeah. the season where all the power went away in the new ballpark. It came yeah. back, came back, but it took a little bit. Yeah. You know, I got post 2009 David Wright for a couple of years, which was, he was still great. Right. I didn't get 06, 07, 08 David Wright. I never, I never saw that David Wright. Dude, and dude. you know, that, that breaks my heart. That, sucks he was like a hero i mean he was you'd go to i mean you're only a year younger than me so you definitely i think remember like when you got into baseball and people probably at that time were telling you like david wright is really good david wright is really you know so you like oh yeah i was i mean as a kid before i really got into it i was i mean i still quote unquote a mets fan when i was six seven years old of course i was aware of who david wright was as a superstar you, but, and you go to like day camp, you, you know, I would just go to like sports camp and, you know, we talk about like who our favorite athlete is. Like it was always, it was literally like, uh, you know, LeBron James, Derek Jeter, David Wright. Like yeah. as a kid growing up in New York, like that's who everyone wanted to be. Like every Met fan wanted to be like him. Even lefties would, would want to, like, I'd want to play third base because I'd like, I wanted to be like David Wright. Like, yeah even despite the fact that I missed those years, like he was still my first favorite player. Yeah. He was still the first player that I looked up to. You know, I, when I started playing baseball, I was a right-handed hitter and Mm. David Wright was the right-handed hitter for me, like to look up to. And like when I needed to base my swing off someone as a nine-year-old, I was like, ah, David Wright. Like I went to his final game. Like I, I was a freshman in college they had the press conference and as soon as he said, I'm going to be playing my final game on, on this day, texted my dad. I said, we got tickets, right? And he's like, we already got tickets. Yeah. And I took a seven and a half hour Greyhound home the day before made it back home, turned on the TV just in time for his pinch hitting appearance that Friday game. Mm-hmm. And then Saturday, my dad and I went and stayed the whole game right up past the Austin Jackson walk-off. And uh, he gave his speech and I, man, I, I cried like it. I took a, I took an Amtrak uh, and then like an LIRR uh, from college. And I just remember like, it was probably like a three hour commute total. Uh, but this, you know, this was to get to the game early. Like I'm one of those people who loves to get to the game like two hours before first pitch oh, just to see the stadium fill up. But uh like I was just bawling on the train. I was like a 19 year old kid, just like, like just crying. Like, like it's just 
that's a time of your life. I mean, that's like how long dogs live. Like, it's like saying goodbye to your, to a dog. It's, it's, it was uh, like if the 2005 to 2015 Mets were a Netflix drama, David Wright would be the main character. Like he would be the hero. And, um, and then he just, you, you kind of, you, cause I didn't assume, like I knew before the press conference, like he's probably never going to play like more than a week uh, consecutively, like ever. Uh, and that's basically what happened. Like you knew in like 2017 when he's had like the shoulder impingements and like he, you know, like his first rehab game, he looked like he'd lost like 25 pounds. It was just uh, like, you knew he probably wasn't going to come back. And that's how you find out. You don't really get the hero send off that a lot of other players get. And it, uh, it sucks. I mean, it feels really bad because he was just, you know, he deserved a lot better. Uh, he's a hero. Uh, yeah. You know, the Mets fans everywhere, he's a hero. And what he did for this organization will never be lost on its fans, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're – it almost sounds like we're eulogizing him. Like, he's 38 yeah, years old. Yeah, I mean, he's not – yeah, he's not dead. He's still in the organization. It's just that day – that day, it, it all goes back to that last day because that day was like – I think my most emotional day as a fan since the world series experience. And before that ever. Yeah. I think ever for me, it, it was, it was a different kind of emotional, like seeing the Mets in the world series. Yeah. But yeah, that was more like Johan no hitter. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, I can't believe they're here. I can't believe they're doing that. The David Wright retiring game. That was like, wow, okay, this is a, I'm legitimately sad about this thing. Let's, let's pivot and let's uh, remember some guys and get out of here. And mine's kind of special today. So I think Jack, if you want to tee us up and go first. I'm going to remember Elvin Ramirez. You know the story of Elvin Ramirez? Why don't you tell it to us? All right. Since I was just talking about the Johan no hitter, uh, it makes sense. But Johan, after he threw the no-hitter, the plan that night was to get Elvin Ramirez throwing in the bullpen because the second that a Cardinal got a single before they could even reach first base, Johan Santana was going to come out of that game. And Elvin Ramirez was going to make his major league debut. So he's warming up in the bullpen. He's hoping he doesn't have to come in because it's you want the no-hitter to happen. Also, you're nervous as hell about your debut. So Johan finishes the no-hitter. Elvin Ramirez and the rest of the bullpen comes running out into the field to celebrate with the other players and that one guy uh, in the Gary Carter jersey. Yeah. But uh, Ramirez, I, I think he tweaked his hamstring. He tweaked it running in from the right field bullpen. So he doesn't even get to debut and he's put on the injured list. Then he debuts like a month later. Everyone just remembers him as like, oh, you're the guy who hurt uh, himself celebrating the no hitter. Uh, and then he, pitched and it was like oh you're that guy who really can't pitch uh like it was it was it was not good it was not pretty he was one of those like uh he was jacob rain before uh like jacob rain was a thing like he's he throws really hard he just needs to control it and he'd give up home runs and he'd walk dudes and elvin ramirez man god bless him he gave his legs for that no hitter it's a good one uh, I am also rem- remembering a Ramirez 
Uh, oh word! <laughs> I feel right. like if you if you've been paying attention to my Twitter today, uh, you probably saw this one coming. Mine's recent, very recent, mm-hmm. probably the most recent remembering guy that we've ever done on the podcast. I'm remembering Erasmo Ramirez, man, oh, because because it's Erasmo time. It, it is officially Erasmo time. time. Erasmo time. I hope the Mets resign him. I really do. He pitched, of course. This year, six games with the Mets and a .63 ERA in those six games. He was so, so beautifully perfect this year. Keith, mm. uh, yeah, like the Keith, mm. like yeah. the reason I'm remembering him. Obviously, if you've seen the tweet, if not, go check out my Twitter at Lebo Myego. Like our good friend Rob Pearsall at Metsmerized, who you know, go give Rob a follow. Rob's one of the best dudes that I know. Yeah, and Mets he- legends. And at and at Mets real real Mets legends I think is yeah. the yeah uh, which is basically just remembering guys in Twitter account form you can remember them every day. Rob loves the service cameo, and decided because it was twelve dollars he was gonna buy me an Erasmo Ramirez cameo, and he did and I posted it on my Twitter and it's twenty one seconds of pure perfection. He says Erasmo time Erasmo time just like the meme. And he, at the end, he tells me to have a pleasant good evening. And it's, man, when I saw it for the first time, it brought a tear to my eye. It's the most perfect, it's the best gift I've ever received. And yeah. because, just because of the the fact that people kind of seem to run a little bit with the Erasmo time meme that we really pushed down their throats this year. And the fact that, you know, the camp. tend to keep doing. Which we, I want to be able to keep doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, we will never, I think, uh be comfortable with having to say goodbye to it and the fact that he was good this year oh i love it spring training too like he never had a moment where it was like oh yeah he should definitely be in the minor leagues like i don't care if it was six games yeah i don't care six games i don't even care like the about the circumstances like he literally just did mop-up work but god damn he was so good at the mop-up work so good, man. Bless you, Erasmo Ramirez. Erasmo, if we had time, I'd sing for you. <laughs> Erasmo, thank you for your service. Thank you. Just thank you for the cameo and the kind words. And and we salute you, Erasmo. Erasmo time forever. And for Jack Hendon and all our colleagues at Metsmerized Online. And of course, Erasmo Ramirez. Erasmo. Of course. Mets fans, Merry Christmas. And have a pleasant game.